This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And uh, Ramon is present, Jonathan. Um, I did the country a, a major duty by, um, unfortunately, reading the EFF manifesto over the weekend. We, uh, you, you did the country a major duty, and uh, clearly you had a lot of time on your hands. Uh, well, no, it's an important, uh, you know, civic duty that I took upon by myself, uh, for myself, and for the betterment of the masses, because uh, we all know. Uh, most uh, school children can't read. So I thought perhaps I should make it a moral duty to that I read the manifesto. And I made a video of it, uh, you know, explaining to the people of South Africa what this means for them. And my conclusion was basically, if you love slavery and thought that the apartheid government, social engineering just, you know, wasn't, you know, didn't, wasn't done as well as one would have hoped, uh, you should vote EFF. All right. So, uh, EFF are going to bring back slavery. Is that? But you got criticism for that online. Yeah, by the EFF, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, Read the but, manifesto. But, they're going to say they're going to determine where you live, where you work. Uh, no property allowed. They're going to determine where, where your children go to school. They're going to determine which police station looks after you. They're going to determine various things. To give you. They're also going to give you lots of free stuff. There's free housing. There's free schooling. There's free education. There's free healthcare. There's free unicorns. Uh, there's free everything for everyone. And you can have as many of them as you like. Uh, that sounds like an amazing deal. Uh, yeah, until you run out of other people's money, and then it's a fuck up. <laughs> so Absolutely. A small thing about manifestos generally, the longer the manifesto, the more oppressive the political party. So tonight, we thought perhaps we should speak to another political party, the leader of the Cape Party, Mr. Jack Miller, um, whose manifesto is only 22 pages. So Jack, uh, welcome to the Renegade Report, and congratulations on having such a short manifesto. Thank you, Roman. Thank you, Jonathan. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, you know, I think to to follow on from what you're saying there, um, you know, it, there, there is a strong sign uh, around the world where governments that have reams and reams of legislation, they basically, um, they legislate into criminal, criminality um, the average citizen who, uh, you know, on, on a day-to-day basis is exposed to so many meaningless um, and unnecessary laws which infringe on our basic freedoms, which I know uh, yourself as, as a libertarian, um, I think you can strongly identify with. So, yeah, at the K-Party uh, manifesto, we our issues are quite, quite clear. Um, it's not a short, short manifesto, but it's a concise manifesto. So, you know, we get to the point um, and uh, we don't need to get uh, caught in the mud of communism and uh, social engineering and fascism, which means that you need to, down to the finest detail, uh, dictate uh, the lives of people. So we certainly believe in a far more uh, liberty-minded and free-spirited society. So for the listeners out there, Jonathan, I'm going to let you have the first question, but I approve of secession. Jonathan thinks it's madness. So, Jonathan, first question for you, sir. Uh, let's get to the madness a bit later. Let's start with something easy. What are you doing on beaches sacrificing watermelons? <laughs> you know, I mean, anyone who is listening to the news over December, I think will have seen, um, you know, the EFF, BLF and uh, other groups uh, slaughtering that uh, white sheep on Clifton Beach singing uh, One Settler, One Bullet. And uh, it was such a blatant act of racism uh, in spite of their um, the facade of what they claim to be doing it for. And so, uh, you know, it, it was very out of place too. You know, they were a long way from home. That's not the way that the people of the Cape behave. Um, we do not sacrifice animals on our beaches. 
and we thought we'd make a comical um, parody of the event and do something that is an old Cape tradition, and that is to share watermelon with friends. Yeah, but where, where right. I'm from, I thought, uh, you know, watermelons were racist. <laughs> where you're Look, from, where these are you days, from, Ramon? These days in South Africa, <laughs> everything is racist. No, no, but there's a well-known meme about about black Americans liking watermelon. Um, but all right, I mean, I got the, I got the parody. People thought it was real, and then took the piss because they thought it was real, despite not knowing it was a parody. So I don't know if that's very brilliant parody or terrible parody, but it doesn't matter. It got you media attention, which is exactly what you wanted. So you know, kudos for that. So reading your manifesto, and I believe you know our listeners should read it it's only 22 pages long you make quite a how can i explain a, a case for the fact that the cape is different markedly different from other parts of south africa so in you know in a, in a few paragraphs why would you say it is that different from the rest of the country well um the Cape is as unique to South Africa as KwaZulu-Natal is unique to South Africa and Lesotho is unique to South Africa and Botswana, etc. So, you know, um, a lot of people are not familiar with the history which formed us. And I think it's, it's important for us to understand where we came from and how this uh, state was created and, and what it's caused. And, and so, Prior to 1910, the Cape was self-governing from 1872 to 1910. Uh, you had independent countries in the form of uh, the Transvaal Republic and uh, the Free State, as well as uh, Lesotho and Swaziland, as well as other um, you know, tribal uh, chiefdom areas. And it was only after the British, through two bloody wars and, uh, and genocide, concentration camps, um, were they able to uh, crush the will of resistance of uh, this part of Southern Africa and force us from independent countries into a unitary state called the Union of South Africa. And since 1910 until today, we've had three different political entities, uh, centralized political entities, each serving their and their group's own best interest to the detriment of all others. So we had the British Empire or their stooges uh, from 1910 to 1948. From 1948 to uh, 1994, we had the uh, the NAT government, which was based in, in Transvaal. And then from 94 till today, we've got the ANC regime. Every single one of them used those central levers of power to their own benefit, to the detriment of others. What we're saying at the Cape Party is that we need to put an end, and this is where we will agree with the ANC and the EFF, and we need to put an end to this colonial mistake. South Africa is a colonial mistake. No one here voted for this democratically. This was imposed on us by the British Empire. And it, it has resulted in over a century of uh, tremendous suffering. And uh, the Cape has a history that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, we've got a multi-ethnic culture with Dutch, Khoisan, French Huguenot, Indonesian, Malaysian, um, you know, Afrikaans is basically a, um, a, a mixture of Dutch and Khoisan and, and, um, and Indonesian. It's, it's, it's a beautiful confluence of different cultures, which through the umbilical cords of the oceans from the east to the west, uh, formed the bedrock of what is Cape culture and has become, uh, the Cape of Good Hope. Okay, so we'll get to the whole notion of secession, but if, if, the, if the Cape province was, was its own province, and I assume that just means the Western Cape as, as it is viewed today, um, how, how come, you know, some guy who, who, who semigrated to the Cape five years ago from Joburg, how can he claim any right to this heritage? And when you secede... Um, how come he has a right to be part of your sort of uh, nation, uh, which he actually has no her heritage or belonging to in terms of a historical one uh, versus those people who would claim some sort of historical um, claim to the Cape? Yeah, I think that's the confusion with 
with what we're pushing for. You know, um, the reason culture and language is, you know, an important topic in secession is because, first of all, we were promised a dream of a rainbow nation in 1994. And the ANC today is the polar opposite of that. The reason why um, there is this, I think, uh, um, support in, in the Western Cape for this concept. Um, and polls we've conducted have shown unbelievable uh, popularity uh, in, in the idea of Cape independence. And, and I think that's because there is such an attack against the Afrikaans language and the uh, basically the ethnic groups, which make up 70% of the Western Cape population. 70% of the Cape population um, is either colored, white, Indian, or... Um, or Asian, uh, speaks Afrikaans or English as a first language, and the ANC has um, uh, explicitly gone out to attack all of these groups. And so this is why Cape Independence, uh, I think, is is so uh, popular here in the Cape. Um, but our reasons for doing it is more than just that. It's more than the fact that we're under racial and cultural attack here in the Cape. It's, it's that we want a country that just works, for goodness sake. What do you make of the sort of argument then that, you know, it's very easy to come in and, and, and to arguably come into the best working province in the country uh, that's our base on Auditor General reports um, and, uh, you know, say, well, yes, we want this part to come out because it's kind of the least corrupt, the most successful you know, I, you can have some arguments around Gauteng being perhaps most successful business-wise, but it, it's definitely a successful province. It runs relatively well. It's so easy to do that when you, you're picking, you're cherry-picking that province. And, and why don't you, if you want Cape Secession, why don't you want the Cape, the Western Cape, the Northern Cape, and the Eastern Cape, for example? Uh, sorry, what's... Um, well, well the, the thing is, is why 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 pick that province alone? What what makes Western the Western Cape so special, other than the fact that it's obviously special in the sense that it's in this in our country currently with nine provinces, uh, it's kind of the the best one, so to speak, in terms of the way that it functions currently because it's had uh, relatively good governance for the past uh, decade and a half. Well there there are two provinces that are, you know, primary uh, revenue uh, um, uh, producers, and, and that's the Western Cape and Gauteng. So, you know, we're certainly not alone. Kwazulu uh, Natal is also um, very economically strong. And and so the Western Cape, we, um, we, we're we under direct economic attack by the uh, through the Division of Revenue Act, which extracts 200 billion rand in taxes from us every year. Uh, we get allocated back a mere 50 billion rand. And so with that, com- that that discrepancy and that economic oppression that we're suffering under, uh, that results in se- serious unemployment issues, housing issues, infrastructure issues, uh, uh, medical issues. And and so we charity starts at home, and we need to look after the best interests of of the people here in the Cape. And uh, the model that we would uh, propose is something that we believe would be to the benefit of any entity that adopted this. You, you've got to be able to break through um, these restrictive centralized political policies, which uh, stagnate the economy and uh, shrink the pie as opposed to growing the pie. And so uh, we've got to start here in the Cape. This is uh, uh, where we're based. But, uh, you know, we, we would promote this in, in any other province, too. All right. So let's take the hypothetical. The Cape manages to secede de facto or de jure. I think it will happen de facto, by the way. I think the central government will lose a lot of money and power in the upcoming decade or so. So you recommend direct democracy. So direct democracy is a system that is mostly found in Switzerland. It works very well there. They've had it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, How do you impose direct democracy into the Cape where it was never really an option or there's no culture of direct democracy? Because essentially you want to hold referendums for basically everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's 
the whole world is moving in this direction. I think this is why we can see the European Union collapsing and uh, various movements around the world pushing for um, a more direct democratic type of system. And that's because centralization has failed. It's failed whenever it's be, wherever it's been applied. And uh, you get different forms of centralization. What the ANC is pushing here, uh, you know, is communist uh, socialism that uh, is, is the worst form. I mean, expropriation without compensation is the worst form um, of fascist communism. And so it's, it's unique to places like Switzerland, um, obviously the the federal system that uh, uh, the United States was was built upon, um, the federal principalities that uh, formed Germany. So there are historical uh, reference point for, points for this, but um, it, it would be fairly uh, revolutionary in in that sense. And uh, it's the only system that works. So the CAPE would be a perfect uh, model in which uh, to apply this direct democratic system, especially considering the multi-ethnic uh, cultures that we have. And um, and look, we would probably break the, the CAPE Republic down into sort of 62 uh, contiguous municipalities uh, that would have a great control over the policies that they made and the taxes that they lived under. So I think I think Ramon uh, thinks that sounds like um, pretty good, and I was going to say a heaven, but I'm, I think Ramon would like it broken down even further. He'd break it down into six thousand two hundred uh, <laughs> municipalities. Um, so let's let's. I, I'm interested to get into some of the policy stuff uh, as per your manifesto, but let's talk about the idea of secession. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's both the, the idea philosophically and then the, there's the practical aspects to the idea. So I, I, I commented to Ramon uh, not too long ago when I knew you were coming on the show that I felt that Ramon's approach to secession and yours were different um, because, in essence, Ramon, and he can jump in and correct me any time he wants if I'm misrepresenting him, but he would like everything to break down to the smallest possible uh, agreement that is available. So literally neighbors agreeing to build the road outside their house or, or trade services or whatever it happened to be. Um, and that is his sort of anarchy. And that's his, his view of, of where we should devolve in terms of government. Um, as far as I can understand, because you're a party, you're still a political party. So if you were to succeed, uh, and in secession, uh, then what ends up happening is uh, all you're going to do is you're going to replicate government, but at a slightly smaller level. So, I mean, it, 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 it's better because it's smaller because, well, it's a national government over a nation of Cape Town or a nation of the Cape um, rather than a nation of the whole of South Africa. But it's still a government. And how is that any different in its inefficiencies and its corruption? Uh, you know, you, you, you almost do run the Republic of Cape Town currently, and you had Patricia DeLille recently involved in a whole bunch of scandal down there. Um, arguably, the, the city certainly, uh, many people feel, doesn't run as well since Helen Zill is not involved. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the province when she's not involved in the province anymore following next year. So I'm just interested to understand... Um, you know, why you think maybe you guys can run a government better than uh, the ANC can. And I know that's a very low bar. So uh, I've really set you up there. <laughs> there is there's a certain point at which the distance between community and the administrative functions of a state become too stretched that they lose accountability and the key question behind all of this is accountability. And there's a big difference to having, uh, even within Cape Town, you know, having a mayor that has got complete, um, you know, veto control over the policies that uh, the citizens of, of the city live under. Um, you know, for example, the Boer Kaap, which is a majority Muslim area, um, you know, they, they're under extreme pressure because they have different values to some of the areas that live, live around them. 
Um, you know, the, the same with Kailiche and Durbanville and Brackenfeld. Uh, you know, each area has got unique issues. And the more you centralize things, the, the less accountability you have. So, for example, if you know the person, perhaps not personally, but uh, let's say the mayor of, of your community, uh, the, the governing, uh, the administrative uh, official for your community, and he lives, uh, you know, five roads down from you, and you bump into him at the shopping center, um, you know, every other week, and there is a transparent bank account into which, uh, you know, taxes are paid and auditing uh, for, uh, it's much easier to audit, um, you know, affairs that are are, are more uh, local than, than trying to manage a, a massive centralized uh, state with um, with so much centralized power that you lose accountability. And as a result, you see every government in the world, be it the ANC, be it the American government, be it the European Union, it, it doesn't matter. All of these centralized states will use this smokescreen of, of distance from the people that elected them to serve them to their own best interests. So, Direct democracy and running a um, a decentralized uh, see this is the, the Cape Party wouldn't we would not run the the Cape uh, Republic we would put in place a constitution and policies that would give tremendous voting rights uh, down to the communities in which they live. No one understands the issues of Burkhardt better than the people of Burkhardt. Nobody understands the issues of Langebaan better than the people who live in Langebaan and in, um, Uppington and, uh, Hermanus and et cetera. So we, we would flip the, the decision making process on its head. And this is how the Cape Party is fundamentally different to the ANC. And the DA too, which frankly, a lot of people are now calling ANC light. The DA's policies are starting to mirror the ANC's. And uh, to tell the truth, there's lit- very little distinction between them when it comes to their, their macro views of, uh, of governance. Yeah, I think that's what people don't really get about direct democracy. It's about giving as much power locally um, and that power is emergent. And so there's more power on the street level than the power at the municipal level than power at the federal level. So, for example, in Switzerland, I actually met the federal president of Switzerland. He was sitting at a hotel bar when I was present, and I had no idea he was the president of Switzerland. His only job is to go to the UN every now and again to represent his country, but he drives an A4 Audi, and, okay, he had a driver, but he, he looks like a mid-level accountant in a big firm. Yeah. So this is the, the leader of Switzerland, and no one knew his name. No one – and he found out after the fact, the waiter said, oh, that was the federal president of, of, of Switzerland who walks around freely without bodyguards, has one driver, drives an A4. But if you go, I assume, in Switzerland, if you go to the actual canton, if you speak to the – mayor of the canton, I assume he has a lot more power within that canton than the federal president could ever hope to have. So in a scenario where the K party is, okay, governing map might be the wrong word, but the Burkhardt will have its representative. The, you know, Kailich will have its representative and they will meet every so often at the Cape parliament with a mandate from that minister, from their community about something or other, then they vote on that mandate as a collective, one assumes. I mean, that, that's the effective way to run the Cape, in your opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you've got to, you've got to give communities the, you know, I, I don't even like the word give, you know, essentially we've, we've, we've grown so out of touch with what the function of a state should even be, where these government officials are so arrogant uh, the ANC is so arrogant on a national level and the DA is so arrogant on a provincial level. And that's because they both have vast majorities. And the DA doesn't uh, serve the citizens of the Western Cape that have put them into power. They rule over them. And we've had to take on a number of court cases for communities here. For example, uh, Patricia DeLille 
put up um, uh, cell phone towers right in front of a, a school crash and communities there that really didn't want it. And there was a whole uproar and they just steamrolled it through. And we had to step in and take legal action to, uh, uh, to defend them and, and actually win the case and uh, to have that reversed. But most people, you know, they, they, they just, uh, it costs an absolute fortune to take legal action like that. And um, it's absurd. It's absurd that some politician living far away from you could decide a matter so important that it affects your, your daily life or your children's daily life. And, and that needs to change. And uh, politicians need to realize that they've been put there by voters to serve the voters' best interest. And we're simply saying at the K Party, we need to have a, a constitution, a political framework that reflects the fact that voters are the ones whose best interests should be seen to. And the taxes that we pay are there to uh, facilitate that these politicians simply uh, fulfill the administrative duties to carry out uh, the will of the people. And that's how far we've drifted from it, and that's what we're trying to bring back. Right. And I'm just going to jump in quickly, Jonathan, because another essence okay. of, of direct democracy is that it's actually a, being a politician is actually sort of like a part-time job. It's like being a city councillor as opposed to a full-time employed politician. And an important aspect of direct democracy is nullification, yes. which you have elucid elucidated in your manifesto. And nullification is that if a law is passed within your country as a community, you can actually revoke that law so it doesn't apply to your community. Now, if that is not democracy at its finest, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and there's others to go with it. Referendums, initiatives, recall, nullification, and voluntary secession would be another. And it, it, you need to have checks and balances to ensure that these politicians keep in line and the ultimate buck starts um, and ends with the voter and, and, and the local community. Um, another point that I want to add to to your listeners who perhaps aren't familiar with the, the system of direct democracy in the Swiss Canton system is, is that they don't have one president. They, you happen to meet the president who was in charge for that year. They've got a presidential council of seven that rotates on an annual basis. And it's simply an administrative uh, role for these, uh, these individuals to rubber stamp the policies which are decided, as you said, by the various cantons, um, uh, through the, the, the layers of government. And, and so the K party does not want to see any type of top down dictatorship. You know, I would not be the president of the Cape Republic. I would simply, uh, facilitate us getting to that point. Um, if I, if I stick around long enough, um, but the type of country we would have would be, where um, there is no president as such. You simply have someone that fulfills the task that the community decides. And at the end of the day, um, a referendum, an initiative, a recall, nullification like you spoke about, uh, the, the citizen at the ballot box is essentially the president. Okay, so... so um Fine. Uh, I think that gives people enough uh, insight into the philosophical side and and the logic behind going with something like secession. Um, what about the practical aspects? So this is two-sided. One is why not, if this is such a good idea, why not try to convince the whole country to go this way? Why, why not have just hundreds of communities across the country have – um, this move to this type of democracy, um, why target the Cape? Um, and the other side of the coin is these are fun debates to have on Facebook groups and uh, in sort of uh, side conversations over a beer. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, what about those people who say you are not going to be able to separate a state from the or a, a province from the rest of the country. It's not going to happen uh, either by 
any sort of legal method, and if you try to do it any other way, you will lose, i.e. militarily. Um, well, first of all, we do promote it for uh, other provinces. Um, and I guess the idea that taking control over your own community is sort of implied in in our name, the K-Party, you know, uh, this is where we're based. Uh, we are a province which suffers the worst discrimination um, at the hands of the ANC uh, due to our cultural, uh, linguistic, and ethnic uh, majority population here. Um, so that's why the K-Party is pushing for, um, first of all, the federal system, but if the ANC will not... Uh, negotiate with us on that basis, then um, uh, complete self-governance. And so we would promote that uh, in KwaZulu-Natal and the East, uh, Eastern Cape, and etc. But those communities will have to make that decision themselves. Um, it'd be lovely, I think, for us to... Uh, and, and on that note, uh, there are movements that we are in contact with. Uh, we've got uh, good relationships with... Um, uh, the the Abatembu uh, uh, tribe in the Eastern Cape that is calling for uh, Eastern Cape independence. Uh, we've got good relationships with um, a group called um, the, the the Shaka Zulu Nation, and they are calling for um, uh, independence for KwaZulu Natal. Um, we don't need to look too much further around South Africa to see that the Sutus have got their own country called the Sutu. The Swazis have their own country uh, called Swaziland or uh, East Swazi now. Um, the Tswanas have their own country called Botswana. So um, this is something that is not, not, I think, too unfamiliar. And I certainly see the murmurings and the seeds of this certainly taking place. And I think I think that's um, what Ramon was sort of referring to as well. There'll almost be a de facto uh, decentralizing of political power, and I think that's what we're seeing in the European Union too. You know, with with Brexit and with Catalonia and with Italy uh, putting in power a government that's uh, very pro-Italian. Uh, so I, I think we're seeing these forces uh, emerging throughout the world. Yeah, I, I, I really hope it's not false hope um, by any means. So let's talk about the Cape Party specifically. Now, Jack, I'm going to be a bit frank. I love the idea. I love secession. I love direct democracy. I love nullification. What has prevented you from being more successful? What has prevented um, people within the Western Cape from seeing you as an equal political party to the main ones within the Western Cape at a, at a provincial level. Because it, it appears to me, I know of you because I, I like the ideas, but I, I speak to many people and they think like you're kooks, like you're just crazy whack jobs. Why do you think that persists? Or do you think it's just, is it just a lack of budget at the end of the day? That, that's a huge factor. Um, we, we're a grassroots organization. We survive on the donations of our supporters and it's, it's meager compared to the budgets that the DA has and the ANC has. Uh, their budgets are, um, over a billion rand each. So we, we're nowhere, we are nowhere near that. So we really would call upon, uh, businesses and, uh, and individuals to, to support us because, um, we have a message that's incredibly important, and I think perhaps this is a message that it did sound crazy 10 years ago when we were found in 2007, um, but it's not so crazy anymore. And the more we head towards a Zimbabwe-type situation and uh, the more fascist and racist the ANC becomes, uh, the more groups like the EFF and BLF are... Um, spurred on to say some of the incredibly racist things that they're saying, uh, the idea of Cape independence becomes far more popular. So, and, and that trend, I would say, started really kicking off about two years ago. So I agree with you. Uh, Ten years ago, the support for, for us uh, wasn't very big. Um, and I think the concept was perhaps too early. People weren't quite ready for it. 
But I do think, looking around the world today, that there is a, a breaking point has been passed, a tipping point, a, a, an, the apex of the pendulum has, I think, uh, reached its peak and is now swinging back. And people are so sick and tired of centralization and um, the elites uh, imposing austerity measures on them and uh, central governments taxing people into extinction. And, and no one benefits from that type of situation, not the poor, not the middle class, not uh, the businesses and the, and the people who are working and getting taxed to death. Uh, no one benefits. It's, it's a cancerous state that uh, is so inefficient that basically um, parasitically destroys the wealth of, of a nation. And and the grassroots are starting to wake up to that. So I think that's why Cape Independence is far more popular now than it was 10 years ago. And I think we're going to see that trend continue. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your, your policies themselves. I mean, some of them are... I think relatively well thought out. Some I feel could have a bit more meat on the bones. Um, do you want to talk about some of some of your your major sort of uh, proposals that are in your manifesto in terms of how you would do things differently? You know, the big the big things: uh, education, housing, employment, uh, healthcare, etc. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and and it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, and it. it it's, it's impossible to do something without the resources. And the, the Division of Revenue Act, which robs us of 75% of the, the revenue that we produce here, by taking control of those resources, it's, it would be mind-blowing how much we would be able to apply that into... Um, the education system, the, the hospital system, uh, infrastructure, and, and, and also to change the way things are done. For example, we, we really, uh, promote the involvement of parents in, and communities in the education of their children, as opposed to state run education, uh, which invariably warps history and warps economics and anything that um, legitimizes their existence and their thievery. So we, we would fundamentally change the schooling system. We'd fundamentally uh, uh, change. Um, we'd be able to uh, give a surge of support and energy into, um, for example, housing. Uh, we have severe housing issues here with our majority population, the colored community, uh, living in, in cardboard shacks and in, in uh, backyard dwellings uh, because they're not black enough. And there's, you know, a comment that we often hear in, in the colored communities is that once was tweede class bergers on the oude gering and now is ons derde class bergers. So, you know, they, they basically say that things are much worse in the colored community now than it was even under apartheid. So we, we've got to address these issues and, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the improvements we would see in an independent Cape uh, would go, uh, would come about as a result of putting an end to the discriminative policies of the ANC and a, um, a far more decentralized distribution of revenue in the Western Cape that actually went uh, to the people that need it most in the areas that need it most. Yeah, because um, the, the aspect of of, of the, the, the weird thing about national policy, it's like a sort of one size fits all. But South African racial groups and ethnic groups, and even amongst ethnic groups and racial groups in and of themselves, is so different. I mean, to have, a, like, for example, demogra- demographically representational BE in, I'm really sorry, that's my pug. She's having a, a, she's trying to vomit. But to have demographically representational EEE in the Western Cape is fucking absurd. It is utterly absurd because the, the black, uh, black people are not a majority in the Western Cape. So why would you want people who don't live there 
to have 80% of the houses or the jobs or whatever other, you know, governmental goodies they want to give to their people, air quotes. Um, it is actually absurd. So even that notion and the fact that people think that it's all right that coloreds do not form part of BE in a province where they are the majority yeah. is, is absurd and, and a horrific form of social engineering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, just listen to the comments from uh, Jimmy Money, you know, where he was saying that uh, the colors need to stop complaining and move to another province so that he can represent the demographics of South Africa, which we know is an artificial state. You know, the, the, the Cape is, is, is its foundation is built upon this multi-ethnic uh, confluence of, of, of um, different cultures and groups that, that have made the Cape home. And, and, you know, another point that I, I like to refer to, the ANC and the EFF like to paint this picture as if, you know, when colonialism uh, arrived or uh, when the Dutch settlers arrived in 1652, there's nothing but rape and murder and pillaging. It, it's the biggest load of, of rubbish. You, The most powerful man, were the very first governor of the Cape in, I think it was 16, um, 1672, the very first governor of the Cape, was a man by the name of Simon van der Stel. And Simon van der Stel is, is who um, it, Stellenbosch was named after him. And he was the most powerful man almost 400 years ago. And he was a man of mixed race. He, he was a colored man. Now, how is it possible then that uh, there was all of this racial oppression and uh, um and, and, and murdering and, and rape when the most powerful man in the Cape in 16, in the early 16, um, late 1600s was, was, was a colored man. And, uh, certainly, uh, historically, there are, uh, uh, terrible, um, uh, you know, accounts of slavery and things like that. But the Cape was basically built upon a, a system that, uh, in its time brought about many different cultures coming together. And, uh, when slavery came to an end, uh, you, you saw the, uh, the merging of all of these groups. And even before, um, uh, when the Dutch arrived in 1652, they were only men. They ended up uh, intermarrying with uh, the Khoisan. And this was the beginning, uh, as well as, um, slaves coming from Indonesia and Malaysia. And this was the beginning of the colored population. And, and the same with Afrikaans. It's a merging of all of these cultures. So, um, for the ANC to then come in in the year uh, 2000 and basically say that the demographics of the Cape is wrong and that uh, these people who've been living here for hundreds and hundreds of years, many, many generations, need to migrate to other provinces in South Africa because they're, they're the wrong skin color in the province that they find themselves is uh, is pure racism and, like you say, it's social engineering. So... You know, we, we, we need to, we need to fight back, uh, against racism and we need to uh, call the ANC out and the EFF out on their policies. Uh, the true racist in this country is the South African government, is the ANC, is the EFF. Well, I, I can't disagree with you there. Sorry, Jonathan, just one anecdote about Simon van der Stel. Uh, he married, I believe, one of his slaves. Um, I can't remember for life now, I can't remember her name and she inherited his estate when he passed away. Uh, making her a, a, a free woman and the richest woman in the Cape um, by by a country mile. Ironically, she had slaves of her own once she became a free woman. Uh, so you can see this the the the, the decolonized narrative about white oppression, black oppression, is 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 completely false, specifically in the Cape. And if you look at uh, the Boers and the Zulus fighting together against the British. The, the Zulus gave uh, the Boers their own republic, the Republic of Natalia, that existed for four years. Uh, in Fikane, where the Zulus took over, caused the land and went all the way up to, I believe it was Botswana even, where 1.1 million um, ethnic blacks died in that conflict. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a time of imperialism, and, and that's what happens. And it's imperialist from... From the Dutch, from the Zulus, from anyone you can think of. It's just the way history was done. Thankfully, it's not done that way anymore. Now we've got 
technocratic socialism, which is a lot more subtle and possibly a lot more evil too. Yeah, that, that's a great point. You know, um, do you erase Alexander the Great from history? Do you erase Napoleon from history? You know, you mentioned the Mfikane and, and the greatest loss of black life in Southern Africa's history uh, was at the hands of Shaka Zulu in, in the Mfikane. So, you know, uh, South Africa's got a very complex history. And, uh, um, yes, apartheid was wrong. Yes, slavery was wrong. Yes, the Mfikane was wrong. Um, this was the climate of the times back then. And, and like you say, thank goodness we're living in a new world and, a, and, and we've got opportunities now to make things better for everyone. And, and just to add a little bit more to sort of direct democracy earlier, you know, we've got the advent of the internet where why should we have to wait once every five years to decide uh, who should uh, be making decisions for us in government? You know, we have the capabilities now to develop a mobile app on our phones that can recall politicians if they step out of line, that can, uh, uh, you know, bring attention to a pothole that needs to be fixed or um, high crime areas or, you know, we can vote on these issues through secure mobile apps these days. So, you know, it, it's uh, and the blockchain as well, where it's, it's verifiable and uh, you, you eradicate any possibilities for corruption. So, there are so many things that we can do in today's modern era. And if we keep on living, looking in the rearview mirror, we're going to, uh, we're going to miss the opportunities to really make a better world. And, and if we are going to look at that rearview mirror, well, let's look at that rearview mirror in its entirety. Let's not, let's not start history in 1948 with the terrible apartheid regime. You know, let's go back. Let's talk about, uh, the Infocane. Let's, let's talk about, uh, the extermination of the Khoisan, uh, as the, uh, the Bantu tri tribes moved from Central Africa down, um, through to the Fish River, where it was the point at which, uh, in the Zürfeld, they made contact with the inward moving Boers. And the Boers were trying to get away from the British, who, who, who were terrible to the Boers. So, you know, there, there's a long history of, 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 um, you know, complex, uh, conflicts. And, and so the ANC and the EFF need to look at, uh, at history in its entirety and, um, and, and, and let's look forward and how we can make this country a better place. We think we've got the perfect, uh, model and idea. Uh, we're starting it here at home, here in the Cape, but, uh, we would certainly, uh, suggest that, um, the residents of, of the Eastern Cape, the residents of KwaZulu Natal, um, would look to us and say, well, you know, maybe we've got a, a pretty good plan here and we can live peacefully together as neighbors and, and judge each other on, uh, on our qualities, our, our, on our merit, on our character, as opposed to what the ANC is pushing for now, which is literally it's national socialism. Um, it's uh, social engineering and, uh, with an exclusive racial agenda. Uh, blacks only agenda. And if you look at what happened, uh, in Germany in the 1930s, also national socialists with an exclusive racial agenda for Germans alone. Was it all Germans? No. It was a small percentage of Germans who managed to take control over the leaves of power. And what we have in South Africa today is a small portion, uh, a faction that has taken over the ANC, the EFF with a national socialist agenda. Uh, pushing for an exclusive uh, um, uh, uh, black um, uh, um, compensation. And so there's no difference between what we have today under the ANC as black Nazis compared to what has happened historically in, uh, in Nazi Germany. And so we believe that what the battle is today is not necessarily um, – uh, different ethnic groups having to, to fight each other about the past. But we believe that we can decentralize power and it's the black Nazis versus the rainbow nation. And here in the Cape, we really can have a rainbow nation based on those principles of, uh, of loving your neighbor. Sure. I, I just, I mean, I, I have a problem with that description though. I mean, you know, that's a, it's a, it's, it's a racial description of people and using 
you know, some of the worst uh, people in history to describe them. I mean, if you'd said, I mean, firstly, the ANC isn't ethnically cleansing anyone. Um, uh, they have very bad ideas, and uh, I think my track record on, on my podcast is very clear how I feel about them. But I, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's a bit insincere and quite dangerous to refer to them as Nazis, and I certainly don't think that their race has anything to do with their behavior. Well, I, I think if you, if you look at their policies, it's national socialism, and you listen to Julius Malema's comments in that one interview where he said, uh, we're not calling for the killing of all whites yet. So we may not be where Germany was uh, in the late 30s, but we're seeing signs that the government is talking. Its rhetoric is very, very dangerous. And there is no doubt that there are parallels with the ANC's rhetoric and the rhetoric of the Nazis. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it on, on that one. I, I wanted to, just before we wrap up, because I know we're on a bit of a, a, a tight schedule, um, your manifesto is not about um, immigration and the impact that uh, uh, immigration has had. Of course, Helen Zeller's famous uh, um, sort of tweet about uh, the uh, educational, I think it was educational refugees, if I'm not mistaken, or it might have been healthcare refugees. I don't remember exactly the terms, but basically she's talking about people coming from the Eastern Cape to use services in the Western Cape because they had collapsed in the Eastern Cape. Um, you talk a lot about immigration. Um, someone who might be reading your manifesto, especially uh, journalists on the left will look at your manifesto and say, well, this looks very um, isolationist. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you speak about things I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite interested in, so strong borders, for example, but you also speak um, quite um, strongly about Im- immigrants in, w- in ways that people may find off-putting. What do you feel uh, about that kind of commentary? I, I don't think we've, we've said anything... Uh... Disparaging. I think what we've done is we focused on the negatives. What we've basically said is how is it possible that a majority population here at home um, can be disregarded and have to live in backyard shacks because they're not the right skin color. So uh, we're basically saying that charity starts at home and this internal migration from other parts of South Africa um, and other parts of Africa is putting a tremendous strain on the resources available to the local inhabitants of the Cape. And so we are, we're simply saying that we need to look after the people who've been living here for generations and generations first before we start addressing uh, the needs of, of others. Ramon, anything uh, from you, your side? Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think that's a valid thing. I think, I think, I think community and, um, localism is much more important than than nationalism and provincialism if such a thing exists uh, not that i think it does exist but um i mean as i said i like the idea i think the anc are dangerous i wouldn't call them nazis quite yet i think they a sort of weird mix between like hardcore communists who are the non-corrupt ones funny enough uh, you know for some reason the communists are are very disciplined. They, you know, the revolution needs discipline and a well-maintained civic service. And I'm sure they are absolutely disheartened that the ANC have gone on a looting spree uh, because that prevents the National Democratic Revolution from carrying on. But in the sense that the ANC wants to completely dominate South Africa, not just economically, but culturally as well, uh, they want to dominate it in various other ways. I think it's very important that people do stand up for their rights to say that we don't want to be part of this this, this uh, revolution that you're talking about. We are happy to live here as a community to put bread on uh, the tables for our children to go to school, uh, school that we choose uh, them to go to. And I, I think, you know, the direct democracy route is a very fair way to do it. But once again, I fear that Perhaps, Jack, is the Cape Party the best exemplar or the best conduit to spread these ideas? 
Or is it just a case of being patient and these ideas will come more important over time? Yeah, um, I, I think there are economic forces that, uh, you know, for example, if you look at the advent of cryptocurrencies um, that are challenging the conventional financial system. Um, if you look at how people communicate through social media, they don't get their source of information from uh, one um, central news source, a newspaper, um, you know, your uh, your vlog, for example, is is uh, an example of that. I think we're seeing signs and and crime. Crime is so bad in this country. So you, you've got a tremendous industry that has grown out of private security and uh, and private schooling too, and uh, across the board. I mean, private schooling might sound like um, it's only for those who can afford it to, to go to elite schools. That's not the case at all. Uh, the largest percentage growth uh, for private schools was actually in, uh, in in formal segments, some of the um, poorer communities that are paying, you know, 500 rand, you know, just so that their kid can uh, can get a, a proper education. So we are seeing signs that people are taking the functions of government uh as the government fails so dismally to uh, provide those services, you're seeing uh, the free market respond in a way that provides these uh, these avenues for people to essentially govern themselves. So is the political route the only route that could result in uh, independence for the Cape and self-governance for uh, other regions in South Africa? Um, no, it's not the only route, but it's certainly, uh, we think, quite an effective route to uh, to put the, the concept on the map and get people uh, thinking in this direction and understanding that it's a possibility. Cool. Well, Jack, uh, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time and answering some tough questions. And yeah, let people have a listen and let them make up their minds if, if they feel that this is something that they want to vote for in the next elections. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. I just wanted to know, Jonathan, are you sort of, uh, do you understand the idea better now? Or are you still? It wasn't that I didn't understand it, Ramon. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, I still think it's a, it's a concept that could be done across the country. So I don't see a reason why one province needs to happen. Although I understand the argument of this is where we come from and this, this is where we are, we are. So we're not worrying about other communities. We're worrying about our community. I get that. Um, but uh, I also think there's a very practical uh, aspect to this. And, and uh, as uh, Jack uh, repeatedly stated, uh, the tax revenue from the, the, the Cape is more than 200 billion uh, a year. Uh, if you think a national government is going to relinquish that, uh, given that they own most of the guns, uh, you've got another thing coming. So even if you think it's a great idea, even if you think it's the best thing to ever happen, and even if uh, you get, get enough votes, um, I don't see it happening. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I, I already have a solution. Walls and, and, and drone armies. Oh, walls and drone armies. Yes, yes, we've discussed your drone armies. <laughs> All right. Drone armies are great. For a solo show, perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe that's our next one. But, Jack, thank you so much uh, for joining us on a very late evening. Um, if people want to know more about the gay party and about you, where can they find that? They can go to our website at uh, kparty.com. Um, they can send us an email at cape at kparty.com. They can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're not hard to find. Perfect. And, yes, I recommend everyone read the manifesto because it has important political principles that I hold dear, like the direct democracy and nullification, uh, which to me are the cornerstones of democracy. And uh, the K-Party, as far as I'm aware, is the only one that actually – mentions those things in the manifesto. So it is something, you know, off the tennis court, but it is vitally important to understand it within a, a liberal democratic context uh, in which we find ourselves. And I use the term liberal very loosely. But Jack, once again, thank you. Much appreciated um, for your time to come on. And I can, well, I can only wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much, Ramon. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, man. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, as, 
As always, guys, you can catch us on Facebook, both the page and the group. You can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report. Uh, you can always support us using PayPal. Uh, website promise is coming. Yes, Ramon? Uh, yes, no, the website's almost ready. And uh, now we're on YouTube, Jonathan. So I make yes, and lots of is very busy grand videos. Making lots of videos. Great, great videos about why EFF is slavery. The and, best videos, uh, The, best, the videos. best videos. Huge. Huge. <laughs> PewDiePie told me they're the best videos he's ever seen. <laughs> great. Great. So, and uh, as always, we'd love you to follow us, to subscribe to us on YouTube. We're going to build that as we go through the year. Uh, and a whole bunch of other exciting things coming uh, coming as we go through the year. So thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This is CliffCentral.com.